The Orthodox Journey, brought to you by the Greek Orthodox Christian Society. In this week's podcast, we reflect on the weekly gospel reading and bring you our Saint of the Week. And as always, we have our Orthodox Spiritual Reflection. This is The Orthodox Journey. This is The Orthodox Journey. The prophet Isaiah wrote that when the Messiah comes, he will cure our sicknesses. Behold, our God renders judgment, and he will render it. He will come and save us. Then shall the eyes of the blind be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall hear. In today's divine gospel, this prophecy has been fulfilled with the healing of the two blind men and one possessed by a demon. Blind men lived in darkness for many years. They struggled to survive by begging in the streets of their hometown and were unable to even see their families. But although blind, they were not deaf. They heard about Jesus of Nazareth. They listened to the stories which their fellow countrymen were saying about the miracles that he was performing. And within their hearts, a great hope was building up. So as Jesus Christ was passing by, the two blind men followed him, crying out and saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, let it be unto you. And their eyes were opened. What a powerful image this is, of blind men calling out to Christ for mercy. This is indeed an image of humankind. For we so often go about this life spiritually blind, not seeing the true state of our soul, nor the realities of our actions, inactions, our words, deeds and thoughts, and their impact upon ourselves and those around us. In this Gospel reading, Christ also healed a man who was demon-possessed and unable to speak. This too is a fitting image of the unresponsiveness of humankind, For God waits and listens intently to hear the voice of our heart. But how can we pray when we are tormented by distraction, inattention and all the noise of this world? Jesus does not perform these great miracles randomly. To paraphrase St. John Chrysostom, Christ does not run after those in need of healing everywhere, lest anyone think he is healing out of vainglory. There is more at work here. Christ's healing presupposes a participation, a cooperation from those who are healed. Our relationship and communion with Christ requires a participation on our part, a return of love, an act of repentance, and an abandonment of self-will. So too, our healing involves a reciprocal relationship. In fact, in most of the healings we see in the Gospels, those in need of healing 
personally seek out that healing from Christ. In other words, they desire their healing and acknowledge their need for him. Even still, not everyone receives physical healing. To some, like St. Paul, who requested God to remove the thorn in his flesh, God's response was, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. In other words, there was something about that thorn that St. Paul needed if he was to trust in God for his strength, to be humble before him, to serve God to the amazing extent he did. True health of body comes through health of the soul, and health of the soul comes through faith and repenting and struggling against sin. This is why Jesus is called the Divine Physician and why the Church is called a hospital. St. John Chrysostom emphasizes that the Church is a hospital and not a courtroom. We enter the Church not so much as the accused before the judge, but as the unhealthy before a doctor. Like so many of the people Christ encountered in the Gospels, we too suffer from infirmities. We are spiritually blind, deaf, mute, lame, paralyzed, and maybe even spiritually dead. And yet, in understanding our disease, we may take great hope. For it is those who are sick that Christ came to heal, as he said, For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Christ is the only one who can heal our blindness and muteness caused by sin. He is the only one who can free us from the slavery of sin and death. The prophet Isaiah spoke under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, saying, He bears our sins and his pain for us. He was wounded on account of our sins and was bruised because of our iniquities, and by his bruises we were healed. St. John the Baptist testified, saying, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And in Peter 1 we read, He is the Paschal Lamb who offers himself for our deliverance from darkness and death. Yes, Jesus loves us all and is merciful to all, but his love and mercy requires these two things from us, faith and repentance. The stronger our faith and the deeper and more sincere our repentance, the greater does the grace of God dwell within us. Jesus may not judge and condemn us, but neither can he come to us unless we willingly receive him. In Jesus Christ, man finds his true health. Man is healed by Jesus through the actions of the Holy Spirit. Through the holy sacraments of the Church, the Holy Spirit acts and sanctifies the faithful who believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Master. Man is restored to his original condition of health only within the Church which Christ himself established. Christ teaches us how to pray through the Church. Prayer satisfies the soul's hunger, fortifies the soul with grace, and ensures spiritual growth. Just as earthly food contains different elements, vitamins, minerals, essentials for health of the body, so prayer contains essential elements for the health of the soul. Communion with God, spiritual tenderness, repentance, the quietening of passions, and attainment of the grace of the Holy Spirit. We must also study the scriptures, the word of God, to understand who Christ is and how healing can come from him and him alone. In his conversation with a Samaritan woman at the well of Jacob, he said, Whosoever drinks of this water shall thirst again, 
but whosoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. In other words, the word of God is to our soul a source of living water. And as we absorb the word of God into our soul, and not only absorb it, but also live by it, it will gradually lead us to eternal life. One of the foremost tools that Christ gives us through his church to find healing from our spiritual sickness is the sacrament of repentance, confession, and subsequent receiving of Holy Communion. By the power of the Holy Spirit working through the sacrament of confession, we learn the root causes of the sins that cause us to stumble, that cause us and others sadness, our pride and false dependence on self. We grow in confidence in our identity and self-worth in Christ. We begin to peel away the onion layers of our souls to the heart of our struggles, the passions and self-will that holds us back. Confession is truly a gift from God, but we have to spend time in prayer, self-examination and worship to make the most of the sacrament of confession and the healing and growth that God offers us through it. Our ongoing willingness to be healed, to progress in our knowledge of God, is an integral part of our salvation. And as we grow individually and collectively in our reflection of Christ, others will find their healing through our example. May we continue to make use of the tools which Christ offers us through his church for our growth, our healing and our salvation, having always on our lips the words of the blind man, Son of David, have mercy on us. Χαράς τα μάτια που δακρίζουν για κάποιον άλλον που πονά γιατί τα μάτια αυτά θα δούνε του παραδείσου τα αγαθά γιατί τα μάτια αυτά θα δούνε του παραδείσου τα αγαθά Παρά στο στόμα που θελέγει λόγια παρήγορα γλυκά Γιατί το στόμα αυτό θα ψάλει με τους αγγέλους οσανά Γιατί το στόμα αυτό θα ψάλει με τους αγγέλους οσανά Χαρά στα αυτιά όπου ακούνε το Θείο Λόγο του Θεού Γιατί τα αυτιά αυτά θα ακούσουν τις αλπίνκες του ουρανού Γιατί τα αυτιά αυτά θα ακούσουν τις αλπίνκες του ουρανού Χαρά στα χέρια που θετίνουν μικρά παιδιά και αρφανά Γιατί τα χέρια αυτά θα γίνουν φτερά για να πετούν ψηλά Γιατί τα χέρια αυτά θα γίνουν φτερά για να πετούν ψηλά Χαρά στα πόδια που φροντίζουν για την αγάπη του Χριστού Γιατί αυτά θα σου οδηγήσουν στη βασιλεία του ουρανού Γιατί αυτά θα σου οδηγήσουν στη βασιλεία του ουρανού Χαρά στο σπίτι που ανοίγει την πόρτα στον περαστικό Γιατί η πόρτα αυτή ανοίγει 
στην Παναγιά και το Χριστό, γιατί πόντα αυτή ανοίγει στην Παναγιά και το Χριστό. The Saints of the Week On the 26th of July, our church celebrates the memory of Saint Paraskevi. The following is a recount of her life and some comments on the key messages we can take from it. Saint Paraskevi was born in Rome around 140 AD of Greek Christian parents, Agathon and Politia. They had been married for many years but were childless. They prayed to God to bless them with a child which they would raise in a true Christian atmosphere. Their prayers were answered with the birth of a girl and because she was born on the sixth day of the week, they named her Paraskevi, the Greek word for Friday. What impressed Paraskevi the most was not her parents' guidance, but the Christian life which they led. Thus, she knew from a young age the way of life she would one day lead. She obtained her education from secular books and from the scriptures. She was also very knowledgeable in the field of philosophy. Bolstered by her Christian upbringing and philosophy, she often conversed with other women about Christianity, trying to strengthen their faith in this new religion. Many noblemen wanted to marry this beautiful, educated and rich woman. Her understanding and kindness made her even more desirable. But having a higher goal in life, Baraskevi rejected any marriage proposals. When she was 20 years old, both her parents passed away. Filled with the spirit of Christ and Christian ideals, she sold all her worldly goods and dispersed most of her money among the poor. The remainder was contributed to a community treasury which supported a home for young virgins and widows who had dedicated their lives to the teachings of Christianity. This was not enough for her, however, and, unprotected, she went out to teach the way of Christ, knowing that death was waiting for her at the end of her journey. It was during this period that the Jews and Romans persecuted the Christians with the greatest intensity. She left Rome at the age of 30 and began her holy mission, passing through many cities and villages. Eventually, the Roman Emperor, Antonius Pius, heard of St. Paraskevi's holy mission. Upon her return to Rome, several Jews filed complaints about her and Antonius summoned her to his palace to question her. Attracted by her beauty and humility, he tried with kind words to make her denounce her faith, even promising to marry her and make her an empress. Angered by her refusal, he had a steel helmet lined with nails and placed tightly on her head. It had no effect on the saint, and many who witnessed this miracle converted to Christianity. Hearing of this, Antonius had them put to death. Thrown into prison, Baraskevi asked God to give her the strength to face the terror which awaited her. Antonius again continued the torture by having her hung by her hair and her hands and arms burned with torches. The saint suffered greatly, but had the will not to submit to the pain. Antonius then prepared a large kettle of oil and tar, boiled the mixture, and then had Baraskevi immersed in it. Miraculously, she stood as if she were being cooled rather than burned. Angered, Antonius thought that she was using magic to keep the contents cool, but the saint told him that he could test it. She took some of the boiling liquid 
and threw it in the emperor's face. It burned his eyes and blinded him. She stepped out of the kettle and went to Antonius, telling him that only the Christian God could cure him. Immediately he regained his sight, and humbled by the miracle, he freed the saint and ended all persecutions against the Christians throughout the Roman Empire. Free now, Barascivir went forth with greater zeal to accomplish her apostolic mission. As long as Antonius was alive, she taught without fear. However, he died and was replaced by Marcus Aurelius. During his reign, a pestilence befell Rome and many people died. Once again, the Christians were blamed. The emperor was forced to change the laws dealing with non-believers. Barascivir was captured in a city which was ruled by a man called Asclepius, refusing to sacrifice to the pagan gods, she was thrown into a pit with a large snake. The saint made the sign of the cross and the snake did not harm her. Asclepius, realizing that a great and mighty power guarded Baraskivi, led her free to teach others about Christianity. She soon arrived at the city in which she would meet her death. Tarasius was the ruler here and he summoned her to the palace for trial. As Antonius, he also ordered his soldiers to prepare a kettle filled with boiling oil and melted tar, and the saint was placed in it. Once again, nothing happened, and many of the onlookers converted to Christianity. Baraskevi was then tied and beaten, and afterwards imprisoned and a huge rock placed on her chest. She prayed to Christ to help her to be strong. The next morning, Baraskevi was taken willingly to the temple of Apollo. Everyone praised Tarasius thinking that he had succeeded in breaking Baraskivi's faith. However, upon entering the temple, the saint raised her hand and made the sign of the cross. Suddenly, a loud noise was heard, and all the idols in the temple were destroyed. The priests and idolaters dragged her from the altar, beat her, and pushed her out of the temple. The priests demanded that Tarasius kill Baraskivi. She was convicted and condemned to death. When the saint was taken out of the city to be beheaded, she asked to be left alone for a few moments so that she might pray for the last time. Afterwards, the soldiers returned and executed the saint. Saint Baraskivi is considered to be a healer of the blind because of the miracle she performed in restoring the sight of Antonius Pius. So, what can we take from the life of this blessed saint? Firstly, we see how much faith Saint Baraskivi had, even in situations that seemed very dire. Despite the prospect of being tortured, she never denied her faith, showing her great love for Christ. Christ was her priority. Her goal was to be with him forever. And nothing got in the way of this goal, not even possessions, the prospect of a luxurious aristocratic life, or the fear of death. Because of her love for Christ, she was also able to reveal Christ to others, purely through the way she lived her life. From the life of St. Baraskivi, we also see the impact that parents have on their children. Through the example of St. Baraskivi's parents, Agathon and Politia, and the daily struggle they took to live a virtuous life. May we use St. Baraskivi's life as an example for our own lives. St. Baraskivi, intercede for us.
Orthodox Spiritual Reflections. Sometimes, when we face a difficult situation, or we feel like we've let someone down, or when we feel that we haven't done what God would have liked us to do, we feel a sense of grief, a sense of being alone, a sense that there's no one supporting us, a sense that we have nowhere to turn. Sometimes, even as we pray, we might even feel that God isn't there, that even God has deserted us. When we have that feeling of emptiness, that feeling of loneliness, that feeling of grief, what should we do? Where should we turn? How should we respond? Psalm 12, a psalm by David, might have some answers. How long, O Lord, will you forget me to the end? How long will you turn your face from me? How long will I take counsel in my soul, having grief in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Look upon me and hear me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep in death, lest my enemy say I prevailed against him. Those who afflict me greatly rejoice if I am shaken. But I hope in your mercy. My heart shall greatly rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord who shows kindness to me. I will sing to the name of the Lord Most High. This psalm can be divided into three parts. Firstly, the question of fear and loneliness. Second, the heartfelt cry of prayer. And lastly, the triumphant song of faith. God, turning his face from us, leaves us with an experience of loneliness and unbearable inner sorrow. It is in this moment of weakness that the enemy comes to mind. For David, his enemy was Saul, who was persecuting him. For us Christians, the enemy is the devil, sin and death itself. When the psalm speaks of being forgotten, we shouldn't think that God has actually forgotten us. Rather, it is the experience of losing God's grace. How long, O Lord, will you forget me to the end? How long will you turn your face from me? It is important that we don't consider God's turning his face and forgetting as meaning that God is not present. He is always present, even if it feels that he is absent. He is there, looking on, ready to help us when we call on him, watching our battles, noting our determination to struggle. This psalm relates to the anxiety of our personal struggle and the ever-present threat of the enemy. For us, it becomes a prayer pleading for God's comfort. It is a prayer asking that his love be established in our hearts. Finally, we see Christ in this psalm. We remember his incarnation and his willingness to take on humanity's forsakenness. Through this psalm, we are ultimately shown how to bear our cross. We hope you've enjoyed this week's edition of The Orthodox Journey. To keep up to date with our podcast series, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. For more Orthodox talks, sermons and podcasts, be sure to visit orthodoxjourney.com. Music